Thanks for downloading our podcast. You can check out more of our episodes at facebook.com slash this house of cards podcast or on iTunes. Hello, everybody, and welcome to This House of Cards podcast, an unofficial podcast about the new Netflix show House of Cards. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with your co-host, Chris Husted. What's up, everyone? What's up, everybody? And welcome to our uh, first episode of This House of Cards podcast. Um, those of you who've been with us in the past know that we do a podcast on American Horror Story called This American Horror Story Podcast, but we wanted to keep going while American Horror Story is down um, between seasons, and we thought that this show um, could be really interesting and exciting, so we hope you all enjoy it um, and enjoy hearing about it with us. Um, so those of you who are watching already know, the show rolled out all 13 episodes on Netflix at once. Um, so our plan is to go forward watching one episode pretty much per week and then throwing up our reviews. So you can either go at your, you know, at our pace and listen one at a time as you watch each episode, or you can go and, you know, watch as many episodes as you want and come back and listen to our podcast as they come out. But either way, I hope to give you some good insight analysis and theories and basically just have a good time. So before we get started, Chris, what are you drinking this evening? Uh, today I found a nice six pack of Sierra Nevada Celebration on sale since it's February uh, for five ninety nine. So I have a, a Sierra Nevada Celebration. What are you drinking? Well, that is a great deal. I am actually drinking a Rivertown Winter. Uh, Rivertown is a local brewery here in Cincinnati that I like very much. This is a very high alcohol percentage, so it is perfect to be drinking right before we go into our podcast. Now, uh, before we really go into episode one, which we both just watched earlier. Um, I want to ask you about a few kind of general, more thematic things. So t- let's talk about uh, the name of the show, House of Cards. What I mean, in relation to what the show is about, what, what, what kind of um, function do you think the, the title has? And I do want to point out also that this show is basically um, a reboot of a show that was done, um, I think, by the BBC in Britain about um, like a cabinet member for... Margaret Thatcher or something. I don't know all the exact details, but it was done in the past, and this is kind of a re- renovated show from, you know, the American version, the updated American version of an old show, an old, like, 80s British show. Um, so they didn't necessarily choose the title just for this. But kind of what do you think of the name House of Cards along with, like, the whole political theme? Well, to me, it just kind of came across as, and this is coming from someone who knew nothing about the previous uh, incarnation of the show, but this House of Cards, you know, I, I thought of, you know, the game of building a House of Cards and how easily it could fall, pulling one out, changing it up, uh, building it back up a different way. Uh, that That's kind of all it came across to me is just as the political uh, hierarchy can, can happen, at least in government, one person comes out, falls out, and it changes the whole different structure, the whole structure of, of the house. What do you think? I was thinking the same thing. I mean, we're talking about, you know, this very uh, precarious, fragile structure that obviously um, Kevin Spacey's character is trying to build in this series. And it's all very calculated. And you're right. It's very much, you know, carving out little pieces and making sure that the entire structure doesn't fall down on top of them. So I think that's a pretty good insight. Um, I also do want to say that I, I also have not watched the older British show. We kind of felt like it would be more interesting if we both went into it blind. And so that way we didn't know what was going to happen. Um, and that way our predictions and theories can be a little bit more authentic. Um, so before uh, we go into again, another thing I just want to say is um, 
with you know just going into it with knowing who the actors and actresses are and the you know producer director David Fincher what sort of expectations do you have for this series fairly high expectations right i mean you have kevin spacey and robin wright uh, as your lead actors that is that, that that's a pretty uh, impressive duo right there in itself and then david fincher yeah exactly you know it's going to be at least on a high caliber uh, level compared to other TV shows you see today. But in that sense, also, the standard's that much higher that it better meet those expectations, right? Exactly, exactly. The standard is that much higher, and obviously we have these big heavy hitter actors. You know, Kevin Spacey's won two Academy Awards, and um, David Fincher, we all know from The Social Network, we know from you know, a ton of other movies, great movie director. And so seeing him, I mean, the whole feel of it gives this TV show much more cinematic movie type, type feel, you know? Right. And Robin Wright, we know as Sean Penn's wife. Former wife. wife. Yes. (laughs) I'm just kidding. And also Forrest Gump, Jenny. Yes. And just a great actress (laughs) overall too. And she was great in this, I thought as well. Um, So without further ado, we'll kind of talk about more of the, you know, essential themes that are going to be running through the show as we begin diving into episode one. It starts out with this great scene. Well, uh, what I thought was a really good, like, tone setting scene in which a dog is killed or a dog is maimed by a hit and run out in front of Kevin Spacey's house. And he goes out to the dog and he immediately starts monologuing to the camera. First of all, this is something that is obviously going to be continued throughout the series. It's kind of this him monologuing to the to the camera um device you know what did you think of that what i mean I, that this is probably one of the few things i actually didn't like <laughs> uh, really? I, I find it distracting i don't know it reminds me of saved by the bell and actually the other uh showtime i, I believe it's showtime uh, house of lies with don Cheadle. he does that a oh. lot uh oh. and i I, I, I get its purpose, and it, it, it serves to kind of incorporate the audience into his uh, thought process and, and, and his actions. But I, at least for this first episode, I found it distracting. I, I might get used to it. I might get used to it. But it, I absolutely disagree. I really liked it. I think, like, I, it, it was like, a, I thought of it as like, um, kind of like a, it's a Shakespearean tool. Like, have you ever seen, like, the Shakespeare play, like, Richard III or something like that? You have the main character. And actually, I think Kevin Spacey actually played Richard III in um, in a traveling show. And so he's familiar with this device. But a lot of times, the character will be in a scene and then turn to the audience and give it, like... There's a, uh, I'm going to have to look up what the exact word is for that device, but there's there's a term for it. But basically, it kind of gives you insight, so it makes you feel more clued in than the other people in the story. And you, it, it's also another way to tell like exactly what's going on in that character's head without having tried to just analyze it. I thought it was great, and I thought, like, I don't know, there was something that was kind of exciting about it. And I don't know. I, I thought it made it different. You know? it, it is. It's exciting, but I, I think maybe... The only reason I didn't like is, as we'll get through, like it's like you're his cohort in in his manipulation and and his strategy. Like, whoa, 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 whoa! I'm not telling you to be this slimy, buddy. Ah, oh, but I fucking love that. That was my favorite part of it. So, <laughs> I I think this is we're gonna okay. That's gonna be a good difference. We'll have to keep talking about it as the thing yeah. goes on. But anyway, so we have this scene where the dog gets hit, and he talks about there being two kinds of pain: the useless kind of pain and the kind that makes you stronger. Then. He says, this is the useless kind of pain, and he kills the dog, you know? And so immediately, immediately, we learn something very clear about his character, that he's kind of cutthroat, that, you know, um, I don't know. He kind of sees the world in black and white a little bit, it seems like. Well, I mean, what do you think we're learning from him? And this, this scene is clearly meant to encapsulate his personality. 
Right. What did yeah, you think, What did you pull from? Well, it was his car that hit the the dog, right? Was it? I I didn't catch that, but because later there's a, a scene in which was. like I'm not sure. Later there was a scene in which like the some kid is approached for a hit and run or something. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I thought that maybe was a set. I don't know. I'm probably totally wrong on this. Never mind. Forget, forget whatever I'm saying. But what he does do is is what you said. Like he knows what needs to be done to fix the situation, even though it is you know the the per, the, the the consequence of that is killing the dog. Yeah. And 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 actually the 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 point is to kill the dog, and the consequences this family's gonna be sad about it, but it it fixes the problem. Hmm. Absolutely, and I think that you know he only continues to develop his character with these monologues as we continue. And so these first few scenes, we're kind of getting to know our different characters. We meet Robin Wright, his wife, uh, Claire, um, and we know they're going to a presidential event that night. Um, and so, you know, we, we basically hear that Kevin Spacey helped get the president elect elected. He did all this stuff. He's, he's the Congress majority whip, right? Um, right, congressional majority whip. He doesn't really like the president, but he helped him get elected in turn to, you know, get favors, which is he's currently expecting to be nominated for secretary of state. Right. Um, so he also talks about not liking the vice president at this event. And he's kind of walking around and talking about how he's not a big fan of all these different people. He talks about the, is it the chief of staff? Who's the woman who, um, Linda, you know, who ends up telling the Latina woman. Yeah. Yeah. Because he helped her get elected, or two, or like get her position somehow. And I, yeah, I was he thinking he was chief of staff. I, I was thinking chief of staff, but I didn't remember exactly what they said. Um, so basically, he's done his time, and now he's expecting big rewards now that the election is over. Um, so, you know, him and Robin Wright are driving home, and they're talking about like when the announcement's going to be of him being nominated. So it's, like, it's not even like a, it, whether or not he is going to be nominated. He's expecting it. He's just waiting for the nomination right. to come. Exactly. Um, and they talk about how once the nomination goes through, there's going to be a big donation of money to Robin Wright's charity, which is like a clean water charity or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, and he's a Democrat. I, yeah. <laughs> his, and Frank Underwood, right? That, that was his name. Is Frank his name. Underwood. Uh huh. Yeah. So. And Frank and Claire Underwood. And one thing I was, thought was interesting, or, um, I didn't know if it was not exactly clear to me where the money was coming from. If Kevin Spacey was going to then, in his new position, then donate some money, or if they that was another part of the deal was that along with the Secretary of State job that they would be donating money to. I mean, yeah. maybe as Secretary of State, he could then allot money to the charity or something like that. It wasn't exactly clear to me. What? Do you... Yeah, I, I I wasn't clear either. But whatever it is, it definitely opens the window to what we're going to be seeing a lot in this season is a lot of backdoor politics and deals being done. A lot of earmarks, if you will. Yes, and so we kind of we kind of see our main characters. We see obviously Frank and Claire, and then we go to the newsroom where we see our character Zoe Barnes, our journalist character, played by Kate um, Mara. Kate Woo. Mara, who American has been in a bunch of stuff, alum. but yeah, she is an American Horror Story alum, first season. Um, who I thought was really good in this. Also, um, Rudy Mara's sister, right? And who was obviously in David Fincher's movie Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Exactly. Um, but we, um, what I was going to say is that Zoe, we find out, is kind of a journalist who's trying to make her mark at the Washington Inquirer, but no one really give her a chance. She wants to get like a political blog and everything, and not just kind of these stupid, you know, um, you know, boring general interest type stories. But they don't really want to give her anything heavy, heavy hitting because she doesn't have much experience. 
if I have to hear one more diatribe about how print is dead in a TV show, like the newsroom on HBO did this, this show, uh, House of Cards just did this, it's so annoying. And getting cliche a little bit, too. It is absolutely cliche. Who isn't going digital now? Come on. And then, yeah, and it's just evolving. It's not the death. You should also probably know if you're new to our podcast that we are, in fact, both journalists, and so we're a little bit passionate about this. <laughs> but um, I would <laughs> we'll be super critical on Kate <laughs> or um, Zoe's uh, position in this whole story. Right. And so she's kind of at the bottom of the barrel in this newsroom. You know, the editor in chief doesn't even remember her name. Um, she's doing like the like city council meeting stories and stuff. Yeah, and then her like her her head editor gives this whole thing about well we're not going to do gossip we're going to if print journalism is going to die it's going to die with dignity and all this stuff and he's supposed to like represent the old stand or whatever and right. really it was just kind of that part was a little bit cliched I thought it was but she was also like saying that she wants to cover like the drama and the and the uh, the TMZ side of it and that doesn't mean going digital doesn't mean you do that I, I hated that that was kind of her argument that we need to. We've heard this argument in school, or when we were in grad school together a lot, but, like, we, we got to give them candy. We got to give them candy. Give them the TMZ stuff. And, and that's not the case, really. You can still do good journalism online. Sorry. Oh, that, huh. And that's all I'm saying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, um, so, yeah, we'll continue. I hate that it was cut and dry <laughs> one or the other. Oh, yeah. That's it was like, accurate. this is real journalism, and this is, like, the sensational stuff. Yeah. Um, so we meet Zoe, and then we also meet... Um, Rousseau, I think, is his name. He was also he's also in Congress with um, Frank, and he we have the scene in which some you know there's a guy in his office who loaning loaning zoning laws were promised to, and we get this really f- funny kind of scene where um, he doesn't want to talk to the guy because the guy's mad that like these zoning laws were not changed now that he's been reelected or whatever. So basically, we know that this Russo guy made false promises to some people to try to get reelected, and now it's not working out for him yet. And so he says, does this thing where, uh, oh, the pres- his phone rings, and it's the president-elect. Um, but it's actually just his secretary dirty talking. <laughs> but the guy who's in his office is kind of like impressed that he's on the line with the president or like <laughs> the president. And so he's like, oh, OK, well, he, he doesn't bother him anymore about the zoning laws because he's thinking, well, this guy's got a, you know, a, like a phone relationship with the president. It's a good relationship to have. So we know this is kind of a little bit slimy, he, which we learned even more later, kind of plays outside the rules, does what he needs to to get. I mean, I don't know, to get things done. He's more. He's kind of what you imagine is. I think we see a few different kind of political stereotypes here, um, and he's definitely a, a model for one of them. I would think. What do you think of this scene? Yeah, totally. He comes across as like a, um, uh, almost. A, I, I don't think this is his case, but uh, a kid. Well, he's not really a kid, but someone who got to where they were through like nepotism and just being a schmoozer. Oh yeah, kind of a douche. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think you're absolutely right. He. Kiss ass all the way to the top. Um, and so that's kind of me. Like, we met a good chunk of our kind of main characters there. And we, now we kind of set the scene that really, is, at least from what I can tell, seems like it's going to set the tone for the whole rest of the show. In which Frank meets with Linda, the chief of staff. And he kind of is, he walks in and he's immediately kind of giving her this idea of like a new, he wants to coin this term trickle down diplomacy and stuff. He has all these ideas about what he's going to do as Secretary of State already. And she just comes out and says they're not nominating for him for Secretary of State, despite that was promised. And um, 
obviously he's pretty pissed about this and reminds her that he got her elected. But they say that it's a divided Congress and that's where they need him. And instead this Kern guy is going to be Secretary of State and he is pissed. Which just kind and, of mirrored or, or reminded me a little bit of why when Susan Rice wasn't going to get the Secretary of State nomination here. And mm-hmm. John Kerry was kind of what the Republicans wanted all, or who the Republicans wanted also. People were kind of worried, or Democrats were worried, because that would mean there would be an, uh, a, a special election for that seat. And if a Republican gained that seat, then the, then the Democrats would have lost it. It would have been very uh, scary to them, even though that was in the Senate and not um, the House. But kind of reminded me of that. Right. And so... I wasn't quite sure, or maybe we'll find out more later, but I wasn't quite sure yet whether or not that um, that was the actual reason they decided not to move him, if, if it was really because they or wanted him in the Congress, or maybe they just, like, wanted their own, you know, they wanted a puppet, basically, in Secretary of State instead of someone who actually was more scheming and smart and had his own thoughts, which I think could be part of it. But anyway, so that's kind of the um, the event that starts the avalanche of everything that else is go- that's going to happen. And so... Um, we kind of see these um, cuts of Frank, you know, alone thinking about this and everything. And then we have this great scene at night when he finally gets home and, you know, cause Claire's been trying to call him all day and everything. And they, she, you know, she's been discussing where, you know, all this different stuff they're going to do with the, the new influx of money to her charity. Well, so he comes home to a dark house and they have this, I think the dialogue in the scene was really good. And they have this scene about how like he hasn't talked to her for nine hours. And, and when have we ever, she like says to him like, when have we ever avoided each other? and you know he says he didn't want to see her till he had a solution right and so she asks him do you have a solution right and so he says she says well do you have a solution and he says no and she says well we do things together and so you know he talks about how he he doesn't trust anybody anymore and she says you know you don't normally underestimate people so he's used to kind of being the manipulator not the manipulative right I love that 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 got me really excited like oh man he's going to do something awesome now then He's planning. And then she, and she's pissed at him too. She she, she is. says like she's she like says, an ice queen. She, but but she's like she's mad that he is not showing more anger. And she's so she's like you need to get mad. No apologies here. No one my my husband apologizes to no one, not even me, which I thought was a badass line. And yeah. So she starts whoa. walking up the so she starts walking up the stairs, and she's, like, clearly gotten to him. And we hear, like, this tray crash. And she kind of gets this little smile on her face, like, yeah, I provoked him to where where he needed to be. Yeah. And so I think this I, – I don't know. I, I'm already loving the dynamic in their in their marriage right here because they're both, like – they're both power-hungry, but they, like, feed off of each other kind of. And I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Right. There, she, she's okay with him being slimy to do what he needs to do. Oh yeah, she's a thousand percent behind whatever you know, whatever bodies are left on the floor. Um, so then they meet back up downstairs, like later after they've both kind of gone to bed for a while, and or at least she has. <laughs> and you know, they talk about how they're gonna have a lot of these midnight meetings where they start making plans and everything. And she says she expects that and everything. And basically they talk about how they're going to work together and how, you know, he's not an avoider anymore. And then he says this line about her, like, I love that woman more than sharks love blood, which if, if you think about it, what a graphic image to describe love. Right. But it's right, kind of, I is, think that is, that another, is another thing that speaks highly of, uh, or it speaks volumes about their relationship and who they are as people. Exactly, exactly. I think that, what a great analogy right there. What a great line. That was great, yeah. Well done, writers. 
Mm-hmm. I think the writers did a great job in this episode. There was a lot of lines that I was just like, that is awesome. Um, so the next day, Kern gets nominated on television. Uh, Frank's staff, we kind of see them um, wor- worrying about what Frank is going to think. But then Frank comes in and says, basically, this is a good thing, only in the sense that no, we're no longer bo- bounded by allegiance to anybody. You know, it's not... Because obviously, when they were trying to get Walker elected, they, I mean... Were in you know not indebted to him, but they you know had to do everything they could on his part. But now it's like they're an independent body and they can leave, they can do whatever they want. Pretty much, it's it's a certain kind of freedom which we see them do. Right. <laughs> and so he he says we need to think big picture. We need to you know you devour the whale one bit at a time. Yeah, so well, talk, yeah, that was I like that too. So they immediately come up with like a counter plan to Kern. But this is so. Uh, I just want to make sure this is right, though. His ultimate goal is to get the Secretary of State position back. Is that what's happening? I'm not sure if that's his plan anymore. Or is he if shooting that's just... for something higher? I think that his plan just now is just to be kind of the puppet master. And he's like, well, I don't know if he really cares that much about getting Secretary of State as much as just, like, fucking up their plans and getting his right people in place so he's the one in control. Right. Because he doesn't talk about – he talks about taking down Kern, but he may, he has his chief of staff – write up a list of potential new candidates for Secretary of State that he approves of, not him, that's but right. other people. And that's when we get that woman. Right. Um, Kathy something, but um, he talks, you know, so he kind of comes up with this game plan to take down Kern. And we, we get, get this cool scene in the church of um, all the politicians in the church. and That was the, cool, yeah. The priest is talking about the subject of humility and how you should never let gratitude sour into pride and clearly so much of what drives politicians is pride that i mean the irony yeah. of t- saying that to a group of politicians you know he's, he says it's your character is, def- is defined by how you endure defeat so in some ways kevin spacey has endured defeat here too i mean he, he the priest was specifically talking about like losing an election but we can kind of you know take this message and you know ascribe it to Kevin Spe- or to Francis Frank Underwood and his kind of new plan about like how he's not just going to let the fact that they screwed him over he's just not going to roll over he's going to take control which is what we're kind of seeing his plans leading up to um <clears throat> so I don't know how much this is going to be coming into play later but we also see this guy Rousseau who we talked about kind of being the slimy politician he said you know him and his secretary are having sex and we have that scene there and I wasn't expecting a- nudity I didn't think they'd do that yeah. on Netflix, but I guess they're gonna they're kind of going for the HBO feel, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I, I think they're definitely there going it for is. the HBO hey, feel. Hey, butt. Hey, boobies. Mm-hmm. There they are. And she wants him to say "I love you," and he does eventually. So, like, they have a relationship, but we realize that he's, you know, he's a rogue. He is. He is who he is. He is slimy, sleazy, douchey guy. But exactly who. Uh, um, uh, representative needs. Um, Underwood is looking for right. Yeah, a, st- a stoogie, which I think he says in in that when he's talking to his staffer about taking down Kern, he says we're going to need some guy to be our guy on the inside about who's loyal about everything. So he's looking for leverage at this point, and this is kind of leading up to his his leverage he gets on Russo, right? Um, <clears throat> but we have then Frank and Claire at like a opera or something like that or a symphony. I wasn't sure if it was a symphony or the opera. Um, 
and they see the vice president and they kind of scowl at him and everything and for some reason <laughs> I, I fucking love politics <laughs> so so for some reason frank comes up with this excuse to go outside and pretend to use his cell phone or something like that i love that he called that out because how many of us have done that uh-huh like oh i'm gonna he go just outside wants to... and pretend to use my cell phone was that just because he didn't want to have to schmooze with people? Is that what you were perceiving that, that as? Yeah, yeah, I think that's what it was. Like, fake a phone call to get out of uh, dealing with a lot of people and having those conversations. Right. And so we have that this great setup where um, Kate Zoe walks by, Kate Mara, and she's Looking going gorgeous. to the symphony with some other guy. And he follows her as she walks in and takes a peek at her ass as she walks by. Who wouldn't? And... Surprisingly, this comes, well, or not surprisingly, this comes back to work to her benefit later. Um, but we do get a, a really awesome transition after this where he's like the opera starts. He's in his seat. We have, we're looking at him. He's watching the opera. The music starts and then it's like the camera does something weird. And then he's like, it, it turns around and now he's playing video games and he has a headset on. And that was an headset. awesome transition. Well done, uh, cinematographers and director. David Fincher. I mean, we're going to see cool stuff like that. All the t- I mean, there's some other cool camera stuff I want to compliment to later on. But he looks like he, he's playing like Call of Duty or some you know first person shooter. It was Call game. of Duty, yeah. <laughs> like letting out his anger about everything, you know. He's just like us. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so so he's back at home. We're doing that right now. We have Zoe gets back from her date and she goes upstairs and she checks her email. She's not sleeping. And with there's. Him. No, she makes it very clear that that guy, she says, if I was going to fuck you, you'd know. And then she comes back upstairs. Yeah. But, and, and of course, out, though, her apartment shows a lot about her. She is not living a good life. She's living pretty, you know, kind of, I would guess, like, well, like we would, we were, are, <laughs> post uh, school, post journalism school, you know, you're, you're trying to, you're trying to make it, but you can't afford fancy things. There's stacks of paper everywhere. Her desk is like a coffee table that she kneels down on the floor to type at her computer on. Um, she gets a. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. So not not the classiest. I mean, well, not the classiest. She's not, like, too not the nicest place. No, not too glamorous. Um, but she gets an email that is a picture that someone took of her checking out, or of Frank Underwood Under- checking out her ass. Right. So who was it? Clear who took this picture? I think it was probably like the the newspaper photographer is like, oh, hey, check that out. Whoever was someone at the event. Yeah, yeah. That's what I only thought it was that. Yeah. Right. So she's going to use this to her as some sort of, well. Because she's been looking for an in to get someone to be her source. She needs her deep throat or, well, I guess not her deep throat, but like she needs her source inside the house. So she can become Mm -hmm. this baller political reporter that she wants to be. Right, so we kind of see this picture as being her her inside pass a little bit, which is, I mean, considering all the, you know, sexual, um, I don't know, stuff that, you know, the stuff that people get in trouble with in Congress and in politics and everything like that, it's kind of funny that this is her in. Even, I mean, not really a huge deal, but, but still, obviously, he's going to be super concerned about anything that can embarrass him, so it's going to be, she's thinking, how can I leverage this? Exactly. And she's looking, like you said, for anything to leverage. Right. Um, she's like him. So... Just a little more novice, right? Not as not as not quite the shark that we know he is. Exactly, She's and a that his wife shark. is. He's a shark. So yeah. Um, in the meantime, Frank and our chief of staff, Linda, the um, are talking about 
now they're coming to Frank and saying that they need him again, which is kind of insulting how they just discarded him, but I guess that's how politics work. And they're talking about how the first thing that's going to be on President Walker's agenda is education and how they're going to have, like, the head of the education committee, they're going to nominate or this Donald Blythe guy, and he's going to write the bill or something like that, but he's a very, you know, Frank says, are you sure? it for a while. That's why right. want him, right? Right, and but Frank says, "Are you sure?" If Walker ran on a moderate platform, and this Blythe guy is like super far left. Yep, exactly. Too far. And left. right, and they say, "Well, we're going to have you help him write the bill, so that way it's somewhere at more in the middle." Um, but we need his name attached to the bill to get the support we need, and we're going we're to need to pass in the first 100 days. Can you do that? And Frank is thinking, "Well, hell, that would be a pain in the ass," but he agrees to it. Although we know he's scheming something, um, but they say basically in his, you know. Um, or inauguration day speech, the president's going to come out and say this thing about education in the first 100 days, right? And so I love this line he says to the camera in monologuing here. It's, he says, what am I, a whore in post-war Berlin? <laughs> He's got all those like, little, little cl- clever one-liners to the camera. Kevin Spacey's great, by the way. I love him in this. He's so funny. He's charming, even though he's kind of conniving. Uh, obviously, he's completely reprising his personality from Midnight uh, in in the Garden of Good and Evil, which I love that movie, and he was great in that. But the whole Southern charm facade that he that he has, but inside he's very uh, he, he's a lot sharper than you would think. I haven't seen that movie. Oh, but I check it yeah, out. So it I'll have to check movie. it out. But he, I mean, he says he's from South. He's supposed to be from South Carolina, and he does play the accent well, kind of that like comforting drawl, but he can have a little bit of kind of a sinister edge to it, you know? Um, So in the meantime, so like when he's having this conversation, we cut back and see that Claire is kind of backed off everything she was formerly just saying at her charity and now saying we've, we're going to have to majorly cut staff. So she's basically looking for any, I mean, it sounds like she wants that they were formerly working only in the U S and they want to, she wants to expand them to like Africa and different places. And she's going to do whatever it takes to do that. So if it means cutting staff, um, then even though her assistant thinks yeah. it's weird that they would need to go international, why do they need to go international? But she's she's just yeah, as so, ambitious as her husband. Well, it sounds like there's something. I don't know. Does it sound like there's something kind of suspicious about that to you? Like yeah, maybe there's some money in it. We're not aware of that direction. There's something else that's probably up with it. Right. So I, I mean, there's I don't think we know enough to make any yeah clear predictions yet. But it seems like I bet you we learned something kind of shady going on. I mean, it seems like it was gonna kind of be shady anyway with the, where the money was coming from and all that kind of stuff. So what her goals are in expanding like that, I'm not entirely sure. But it sounds kind of kind of shady for a charity. Um. So back to Frank's house. It's nighttime, and Zoe it's like knocks 10:30 on thirty or something, isn't it? It's like really late. Yeah, it's pretty late, and that's for some reason. I get maybe because she didn't want to be seen or something like that. Because she gets past the guard. Zoe comes to Frank's door. She gets past the guard real easily, real like suspiciously easily. Yes, she does. That was a little. <laughs> and she knocks easy. on the door, and she knocks on the door and is able to have a conversation with him before the guard even runs up. And oh, she pulls out her phone, shows him the picture, and that is her ticket inside. That's so 2012. So, so she comes in and. Frank pours her some whiskey, and she kind of, I don't know, choke, chokes on her. It like hits, it's a little bit strong for her. She's, and so, yeah, she, yeah, she can't handle it. And this is kind of a tool, I think, to illustrate like how much more advanced Frank is than her. Kind of um, how she's she's kind of a, like 
a big like a little fish in a big pond basically absolutely she's a noob <laughs> and oh, i don't she, remember what she it was. takes she takes her scarf off or something and starts trying to like show her cleavage like that's gonna work and and he goes he says something i don't know if you remember it but it was something along the lines of like oh that's honey, a cheap that's, trick that's, just, that's a rookie mistake a cheap trick or something like that yeah yeah <laughs> and then they talk about like the vat like how valuable time is or something like that and then she says like i read somewhere that jfk never lasted more than three minutes in like in bed basically i thought that was a really i'd never heard that before i thought that was a very funny i haven't line either that, that is because he thought time was is, so is important this part for seduction like still like come on come on Zoe. i don't know but he did but he did not really seem to be falling for it that hard i didn't think no, um, no, I don't. But think she is. basically op- no, and she basically offers him this deal: I will protect your identity and print whatever you tell me if you give me insider information. So basically, she, he, you know, she he can get what he wants by leaking stuff. Here is our morally uh, uh, ambiguous uh, transaction, uh, one of our first big ones uh, of the show. Right, like this is where we see two people cut a deal with each other to get to to benefit both of themselves but it's totally backdoor politics it is it's kind of a deal with the devil but i'm not really sure which one is who is the devil is is exactly who's on what side but i mean frank talks about you know how you're asking him she's asking him to build like have you know put trust him to put trust in her and how he's not quite sure he's ready for that yet. He does have, I think I also liked how he like knew who she was and he was able to like cite some of the really crummy, like the boring stories she's done about some stuff. Let me ask you a question about that. I know like she was being weird and it, it was somewhat condescending maybe the way he was dealing with her, but how stoked would you be if you found out who was reading your stuff <laughs> and they knew yeah, what you've written? That'd be, I would oh, be so excited. You'd think that would be flattering, but clearly she's embarrassed about the quality, and he was kind of using it as an insult. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I'd still be like, "Oh my god, he read my stuff." <laughs> but it was—I it, mean, super impressive too that he, you know, he reads everything, and he like he, obviously he didn't know she was coming over, but he knew her name and knew what articles she'd written. That was a little bit—I don't know if that was realistic necessary, but I, necessarily, but I think it certainly shows us something about his character, right? Um, but she wants to know basically the administration's plans, and he wants to think it over first. And as she leaves, you know, as she leaves, Claire comes home. <laughs> and after she steps out, Claire says to Kevin Spacey, like, does that actually work on anybody? She's talking about, like, the low-cut V-neck and the cleave, like, the push-up bra. So she says, and he's like, well, it doesn't work on me. <laughs> so that, like, just the writing in this show I've been very impressed with. So I know we've commented on that a few times, but I just want to, again, reiterate. Right. The, 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 the way the characters that... Um they've written for Kevin Spacey and Robin Wright are, they're awesome. I, they're so strong and very exciting so far. Yeah. Zoe, I hope she gets a little deeper because right now she just looks like a little kid trying to run her, or climb her up, her way up the ladder way too quickly by any means necessary. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Hopefully she'll get a little bit more complexity because i kind of feel like we've seen her type before. Obviously I feel like, Claire and Frank are our two most interesting characters right now. Absolutely. Um, for sure. Um, so kind of back to Rousseau, our, con- you know, our playboy congressman. He gets a DUI. He's in the car with a different woman that is not his secretary, who he said he loved. Um, and who's called to ba- who gets the call that he's been sent to jail? Well, Frank does. Why? Because they were looking for a stoogie. And so 
Frank sends his staffer to meet with the police commissioner and get Russo out of prison without anything on his record um, because they make this deal with the police commissioner that they will help back him for mayor of Washington, D.C., basically. And so once again, we kind of see these like favor politics and everything like that. And how, like you said, these backdoor politics, how they work and how everyone's scheming behind everyone else's back. And it's really, the house of cards is becoming clear. You know, one thing leads to another and there's all these ties and all these strings and all these promises and everything like that. But it's all very precarious. And so back to Frank's office, he's meeting with the Donald guy who the who's going to be the education secretary or whatever and he's reading the bill and he the, throws it in the yeah. shredder and says that it needs to be completely redone he doesn't like any of it um that they basically that the administration wants his name on the bill but not his ideals or you know his really far left ideals but he only kind of throws it halfway in the shredder because later we find out that they retrieve it from the garbage to give to Kate Mara um so Zoe gets a call from Frank and they meet up at the art museum. So he decides he's going to go through with it and he's going to make this deal with her. And he leaks the info on the education bill because now he's had his staffer pull the shred, partly, partially shredded the bill from the garbage. And they give it to Zoe to kind of scrap together and to throw into the newspaper. Um, and so... Zoe brings the the she spends all night pretty much writing this article and re, you know putting together all these pieces and reading through apparently every page of this 300 page bill or something like that and brings it into the office to her editor um and basically says that you know they ask him to her to summarize it and basically that the the story is that the bill's very far left of center which is kind of what we talked about earlier that this it's going to you know for he was running on a moderate platform in this bill was going to be far more lefty socialist than he had run on. So there's immediately controversy. Right, right. And that he's going to be talking about this educa- the education stuff during the inauguration. And so there, it's going to be perfect timing for this. And so basically all her editors are really um, freaking out that she was able to get this and the bitchy you know, chief political writer or something is, is forced to work under Zoe. And all of a sudden we see this power shift because she has the inside source now. Right. And that so she won't give up. Okay. She won't give up her her source. Her source, exactly. As so they're going to do a couple quick edits, right? So they're going to do a couple quick edits, and they're going to get it online, and they're going to get it in the newspaper. Um, in the meantime, Frank is blackmailing Russo and tells them that he knew about, he knows about the DUI, he knows about the other stuff that happened, and he wants his absolute, complete loyalty. And he kind of like does stand like looms over him, and you kind of can see Russo sweating. It's a very badass scene, and you see that was the most threatening we've seen him. Like he's been, he's an intimidating person, sure, but that was like threatening. He is a shark. He is clearly a shark, and that was kind of awesome. You, I mean, his powers of manipulation know no bounds. You know, he's a master manipulator. And so we go from there to this. I think the inauguration scene was super cool. We start off with um, this monologuing from Kevin Spacey about how. You can t- at the inauguration. You can tell power by location, basically how close you are to the president. And so that he says, was like, cool. so who? So you can tell by you know the old pictures who you see smiling at the edge of the camera frame is who's going to be the people in power. And so you see the camera, and the camera just moves slightly left. With and he there he is, like wave, like kind of like gives a wave and smiles at the camera. I thought that was a super 
badass kind of cool thing that you kind of um we've seen that obviously he's doing the monologue thing too but it's kind of interesting how we see the camera playing so basically it seems to me like the camera is playing his his point of view or at least the point of view he wants us to see kind of do you know what i mean yeah exactly this is what we're supposed to see right and so it's interesting because it makes you think you know he's he's monologuing and kind of directing the story obviously he's our narrator in that way he kind of becomes our narrator he directs the camera and so he's kind of the one curating the story so that i mean that is an interesting dynamic like you were saying you didn't like the fact that like because of that, we're kind of getting pulled onto his side, wh- yeah. whether we like it or not, you know? And I was exactly. saying, I thought that was kind of cool. So I'd be, I'm going to be curious to hear what other people think of that, whether they like it or whether they don't like it. Um, but anyway, I, I thought that was just a cool scene, how they did that. And then we see Walker's inauguration speech, and he talks about education. And then I like how we also see Frank rolling his eyes at the camera at that point. Yeah, I, I, do, I actually did like that for that reason. Yeah. Uh, and then we see them at the inaugural ball afterward, and we see this the current guy who's currently being nominated for Secretary of State going on this whole thing about ultimate frisbee. <laughs> it just makes him seem like such a douchebag. Total d um, And like Claire and Kevin Space or and Frank are just like rolling their eyes at each other and basically probably whispering what a douche that guy is. And they also got just another note: they got some extra tickets to the ball for um, a couple big donors that Claire's trying to wrangle up for the charity too. Um, and then Frank goes and he talks to that Donald Blythe guy about the bill and kind of up at the bar and kind of gives him a compliment. Like, I think he's trying to make it seem because before he kind of seemed angry at him. So he's trying to like make it seem like, Appease oh, him. the next draft will be much better. I like your next draft better. Then he leaves him to go compliment this um, Kathy. I don't remember exactly who she is, but she's the one that he wants to be the new secretary of state. Right. She's who has a lot the, of experience. I mean, she's just the congresswoman that they're looking at. Yeah. For that role. Yeah. But she's the one who's going to be kind of, he wants to be his puppet a little bit. That's his, his choice. And she is down. Exactly. And so the episode ends with this kind of the scene where Kevin Spacey's or Frank is going to this rib joint at seven thirty in the morning. And has the guy open up the rib joint for him so that way he can eat ribs outside with a newspaper. He says, you know, that they normally open up the place for him. And this is when he talks about being from South Carolina and how he loves himself a rack of ribs even at 7.30 a.m. <laughs> Which sounds kind of gross, actually. It does, but uh, it's, I, yeah. I, I wonder if that's a real place. I mean, I only lived in D.C. for a little less than a year. But I think it was called Freddy's or something like that. I'd like to know if that's real. So if anyone knows if that's real let us know yeah but that was the scene ends with him sitting down at the table and he flips open the newspaper and on the left we see you know walker says first priority is going to be education and on the right we see the article he fed to zoe that says very education bill is very far left of center or basically the story he planted and then he says something about how it feels like christmas or something like that (laughs) and so we see pretty cool his house of cards thus far has all fallen into place. Yep. And then the music plays and we zoom out and we see this kind of montage of everybody reading the newspaper and being shocked by it. Then we saw a montage of Zoe on a toilet, which I don't know why that was there. <laughs> that was kind of weird. And then some just kid sh- getting connected with her. I, I thought that was just to show she's very, she's vulnerable. She's young. She's inexperienced. She's like everyone else is in suits and dressed up and she's on the pot, you know? Like yeah, she's not, yeah, she's yeah. not the glamorous person. I think I was just trying to hammer that in. Yeah, she is sloppy. She's, mm-hmm. she's. She I mean, like we said, 
everybody poops Chris. She's mm-hmm. playing she's playing with the big boys. Um and we'll see whether she can handle that in the long run or not. I have a feeling that eventually her and um Frank are going to ha- have some tension whether that's they're going to be angry at each other or whether we're going to see kind of a relationship develop there. I'll be interested to see. Yeah. But anyway, I thought super awesome episode that was a great ending to the first episode. So much happened. Obviously, we were like laying out a lot of character detail, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely, um, I'm excited about it. I'm excited. I'm really excited about about it too. So, I mean, overall impressions. What did you think? Um, what are you expecting going forward? It gave me a, a, definitely the spark it needed to uh, to keep me interested. It hooked me. I love politics and I love journalism. And I don't know the if you remember the season of The Wire. Um, actually the two seasons of the wire that I liked a lot were the ones that revolved around, uh, politics and the, the mayor, the mayoral election and also the, uh, uh, the journalism, the final season. But I think there's enough here that we can keep going forward and building from it. Like we, we know a plan's in motion. We don't know exactly what that plan's going to be, but we're excited because of the characters that are participating in this plan. So I'm, I'm all on board for this. Um, I th- I would give it a uh, I don't know out of five. I would definitely sure. give this a solid four out of five for for a season uh, premiere. I would agree with you. It definitely hooked me. I think that um, I like the first person aspect. I like the cinematic aspect of it. I think it makes it more interesting than your typical your typical show. Um, I think obviously the incredible acting by Kevin Spacey. And specifically Kevin Spacey and Robin Wright, I think, um, kind of bring it to a whole new level. I love the character of Francis already. He has so many layers, and he's putting all these pieces into place, and I'm really excited to see whether or not he's successful. Um, I feel like the journalism storyline thus far is a little bit cliche. Right, I I agree. I mean... But I, I mean, I hope that gets more complex as we move forward, as the relationship between Zoe and Frank continues to evolve. Um... But I like all the drama and the suspense, and I think there's a lot on the table for a first episode. And, uh, I mean, there's a shit a, a ton of stuff happened for the first episode, too. I mean, I don't know. I really liked it as well. I'm going to give it a 4 out of 5, too. And right. um, I'm psyched to see what happens in episode 2. The groundwork has been laid. Now we're, we can only build our, card, our house of cards from here. That is right. Well, we'd like to thank you all for joining us this evening, and hopefully you will meet us next time for episode number two. Um, Chris, where can people find you online these days? I'm on Twitter at, at Chris Husted. That's Chris with a K. And I am on Twitter at, at TJMoss11. You can also um, find us at uh, This House of Cards podcast on Facebook and um, on iTunes. And um, you can email us at thishouseofcards at gmail.com. So we look forward to (laughs) So we look forward to seeing you guys next time. And um, thank you very much. Later. I don't wanna be your friend. I just wanna be your lover.